0: Before we get started with this episode of American Rabbi Project, a few quick things. First of all, if you like what you're hearing, please consider donating to this podcast. You can do so by going to my website, rabbiproject.com, and clicking on the Donate tab. Also, I am officially on the speaking circuit, so to say. If you're interested in having me speak to your group of any size, please shoot me an email, justin at rabbiproject.com. Once again, justin at rabbiproject.com and of course I can do virtual presentations. Finally, everyone interviewed for this podcast speaks solely for themselves. Welcome to American Rabbi Project, the podcast about American Judaism from the perspective of rabbis across the country. I'm Justin Regan, and yes, this is season two. Quick recap. Last year, I left my job to take a road trip with the goal of interviewing at least one rabbi in every state. Season one started in Arizona and ended in Washington, D.C. After that, I went to Philadelphia, where I spent some time with family before beginning what I consider to be the hardest part of the road trip. Because for three weeks after Philly, I was not staying with people I knew. I was alone. Not to mention, the first stop on this leg was Charlottesville, Virginia, ground zero of 2017's deadly white supremacist rally. What made things even more difficult were all the tragedies occurring during this time around the country and in my backyard. Not only was there the shooting at the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh, which killed 11 worshipers, Shortly after that was the borderline bar shooting in Thousand Oaks, California, where 13 people died, including the shooter. It happened in my hometown, at a bar many of my friends, myself included, had been to in the past— That violation was only compounded by the Woolsey fire, which affected the same area and broke out less than 24 hours after the shooting. In the morning, I was calling friends and family to make sure they weren't shot. That evening, I was calling to make sure they had evacuated in time. That includes my parents. They got out fine, but the biggest scare involved my good friend who has a family farm in the Santa Monica Mountains. It was hard to get a hold of him, but eventually he told me he was fine, but had been separated from his dad, who was most likely going to make a stand at their house. Several hours passed, and I started to think some very scary, horrible thoughts. Later that night, I was in a grocery store checkout line, and I got a text from my friend that simply said he made it out, and I nearly lost it in that store. Later on, my friend's dad would be profiled in an LA Times article, and to this day, I haven't felt like reading it. I just can't. Needless to say, it was a rough weekend. The one day I did try to get away from it all, I went to Shenandoah National Park and rolled my ankle. That same night, I went to downtown Charlottesville and hobbled to the statue of Robert E. Lee, the focal point of the white supremacist rally. It was still standing, but covered up in shrubbery, caution tape, and fencing. Oddly enough, after a hectic weekend of fire, shootings, and injury, one of the more calm places I found was this dark, unassuming square where the only company I had was a Confederate general. Because the energy seemed to have shifted. As I looked around the square, I saw chalk writing on the ground that said, We stand with Pittsburgh. For what it's worth, I'm glad I spent some time in Virginia. Even though I didn't snag any rabbinical interviews there, I did have better luck in the next state over. West Virginia, truth, justice, and the Appalachian Way. At this point, I was traveling through what I like to call the Char Char Belt, a region filled with places named Charlottesville, Charleston, Charlotte, and Charleston.
1: Hello, my name is Victor Yurecki. I'm the rabbi here at Bene Jacob Synagogue in Charleston, West Virginia. I came here in 1986 and been here ever since.
0: Charleston is the state capital, but a big city it is not. Current population estimates put it under 50,000. The percentage of religious people in the state is high, but the number of Jews are low. Simply put, it's not a place Yurecki expected to live back in 86 when he received ordination at Yeshiva University.
1: It actually was a good year to be a rabbi because there was a rabbi's market as opposed to a synagogue market. And there were a lot of places to go for interviews.
0: The university sent him to West Virginia mostly to get his feet wet to the placement process and out of respect for B'nai Jacobs, then rabbi. They did not expect it to be a match because he was orthodox. The congregation was closer to conservative and officially became so in 2018. There was no Jewish day school and the closest kosher meet was two and a half hours away in Ohio. It ended up being the only interview Yureki went to.
1: And we were overwhelmed by by the warmth, the friendliness, not just of the Jewish community, but the community at large. But as we were walking down the boulevard here with my yarmulke, my wife very traditionally dressed, non-Jews were coming up to us and saying, Shalom. We, we love the Jewish people. We love you. Thank you for being here. We were so taken back by the charm and the warmth of this area when they offered us uh, a position here in Saturday, on Saturday night when we were still here for the interview, we thought about it on the way back, and we said, yeah, we'll take it. And it's been a love affair ever since.
0: For the original Jewish inhabitants of West Virginia, it was not charm that brought them to Appalachia, but coal. Many people flooded into the state starting in the late 1800s for the booming industry around the so-called Black Diamonds. Plenty of small-town congregations and Jewish-owned businesses popped up. The early 1960s was the high-water mark for B'nai Jacob, which was filled to capacity with more than 400 families. Temple Israel, Charleston's Reform congregation, had about 250.
1: But as their children got educated and became doctors, lawyers, etc., they didn't come back. The jobs weren't there necessarily. A lot of people did not want to go back into the family businesses because they realized (laughs) these were not owning family businesses, but family businesses owning them. So it's a very, very small Jewish population and continues to get smaller and older.
0: Now, many small town congregations are either gone or don't have a full time rabbi. Charleston has the biggest community, but the numbers of families have been cut by more than half since the 60s. It mirrors the general prognosis of West Virginia. Coal played a pivotal role in building the state, but it's been on the decline for some time, especially due to the recession and more coal plants across the country shutting down or changing fuel sources. It's left a hole that newer industries have not yet been able to fill. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, West Virginia has one of the highest poverty rates in the country at about 19 percent and the lowest workforce participation rate. Currently, it's the only state in the union to have both a decrease in population and more deaths than births.
1: The, the truth of the matter is we can't really change the numbers. The numbers are the numbers. All we can do is create the product for those people that are here and those people that might be coming here to make it the best Congregation, best Jewish community, and best experience. We just had a couple that was interviewing this weekend here for Charleston Area Medical Center. And they were overwhelmed, I think, at a vibrant community. I mean, we had close to about 80, 85 people at our Saturday morning services. For a small community, that is huge.
0: Vibrancy aside, there is a lack of Jewish infrastructure in Charleston. Yurecki dreamed of building it up when he first arrived and ultimately had to accept the limitations of the situation.
1: It's numbers. If you don't have enough numbers, you can't create a day school. If you don't have enough numbers, you're not going to have a kosher butcher. Charleston is going to be very difficult for an orthodox family to ever come and want to be here. You need to make certain changes. We needed to make certain changes. uh, Reluctantly at first, and now with a certain amount of an embrace because we want to be here.
0: For Yureki, it helps that while he was ordained through an Orthodox institution, he personally leans more conservative and he does enjoy being here. Ureki says there are advantages to being a small-town rabbi. He gets to be an ambassador of sorts for the Jewish people. He's talked to state and national lawmakers, spoken at events at the state capitol, and worked with the ACLU. Yureki is a member of multiple interfaith organizations that work on issues like bridge building and helping refugees.
1: People talk about Charleston in terms of its interfaith activities. Um, my relationship and closeness with the Islamic community, my closeness to the, the Catholic community. It's not just good for the community in general, but it's also made me a better spiritual person because you learn from the encounter of other religions.
0: Yureki says there are a lot of warm people in Charleston, and that really showed in the wake of the Pittsburgh tragedy. I spoke to Yureki a few weeks after it happened.
1: Charleston is a very unique place to live. West Virginia is. It's a very safe community. It's a very um, welcoming community. There's times where somebody forgets to lock up the synagogue, and I come the next morning and it's open. And there was no fear. It was, uh, you know, pretty much of an open. And that's the way synagogues, churches, mosques are supposed to be. What Pittsburgh has done is that loss of innocence, because already, and we've been doing this since 9-11, but now even more critically, approaching, you know, where are our vulnerabilities? How can we make sure that this place is is both open but secure? But that Sunday morning, starting to see flowers being left by our doorstep from anonymously with words like, we love you, um, we stand with you, was very heartening. And it shows you that's America. And that's, you know, that shooter does not represent everything about America. And the outpouring of love and support has been nothing short of inspiring. However, I think that did more than just shatter our innocence. It also reminded us that perhaps America is no different than any other country.
0: This loss of innocence and shooter doesn't represent America Yureki speaks of references an ideological debate in the Jewish community that usually follows generational lines generally speaking the younger feel safer while some of the elders are quick to bring up the terrors of the past it's a conflict that played out verbatim in your family
1: because my dad who fled poland in 1938 as a young kid who always said it can happen anywhere well my my father not only left as a stateless person from poland fleeing for his life and again not everyone in his family could leave and seeing the doors close in America, because of America First back in the 30s, the only place that took his family in, only some of them, were was Argentina. And then to be raised in a country where there was Catholics and there were Jews and there was separation. And then also witness a world before the state of Israel was also pretty critical to him, realizing that if we don't have a homeland, we don't have safety. Fast forward to my generation. I grew up in the 60s. I'm growing up in a world where America is accepting. In fact, it's so accepting we we intermarry. It's so accepting that I go to my, my children can attend Charleston Catholic that I can do the valedictor the um, commencement address there three times that my wife teaches there, my daughter teaches there um, that I'm invited routinely at different churches. church members come here. America's different, and we also don't see, what it's like not having a homeland. In fact, we see a very powerful state of Israel.
0: He says in the wake of Pittsburgh, it's more important than ever to speak out, speak up and do good.
1: And one of the things that I'm doing here in our area, and I've been talking about that quite a bit, is weaponizing goodness. We need to amplify the good things that are happening in our world, in our country and locally. So... Just I'm at Charleston Catholic, I'm taking pictures of those moments and making sure the people on Facebook and Twitter know that that's what's going on in our country, that's what's going on in our city, and that, yeah, there is a lot of hatred out there and people use social media to promote hate. We can weaponize goodness. And I think that's the only tool that we have in our toolbox right now.
0: As Yureki previously mentioned, there is at least a perception that America is different. Whether or not that's true is constantly being debated in this podcast, but there are challenges to a welcoming society as well. Increased chances of assimilation and interreligious marriage. It's a dilemma that gives Yureki mixed emotions.
1: The challenge is, unfortunately, because the non-Jewish spouse does not have the spiritual memory, the the history of the Jewish people, the ideas of being part of a community, a Jewish community, the chances are very good, unfortunately, that they will not raise their children in the Jewish faith. But the opportunity is we bring in a freshness to our community, which is one of the things that I've noticed here in Charleston, where we have people that are not of the Jewish faith that sometimes they convert, but oftentimes what they do is they become our ambassadors to the Jewish spouse that are that doesn't realize how important the gift of Judaism is. Because if they are starting to come to our synagogue, the non-Jewish spouse wants the Jewish spouse to take this thing seriously.
0: Yurecki says many rabbis have a chip on their shoulder, that it's up to them to, quote, save Judaism. But the older Yurecki gets, the less he worries, and the more he focuses on the beauty of Judaism.
1: When I look at the texts and the history of our people, I kind of then take a deep breath and say, relax. Our people have been wanderers. We have a story. We have an adventure. And this is part of the unfolding adventure of the Jewish people. This is actually pretty good adventure right now. I mean, if our biggest challenge is the community around us loves us so much that they're marrying us, that's not a bad challenge. I'll take that over a pogrom. When you see things like Pittsburgh, it gives me pause, but it also reminds me when I saw the days after of the envelopment of the Jewish community here by so many not of the Jewish faith. It reminds me that there's a lot of goodness in this world, and we have a homeland. And our bigger challenge is the, the disconnect between the state of Israel and because of some of their policies and the American Jewish experience, but we have a homeland. We have a place of of safety if need be.
0: There are other sacred texts Yureki turns to for inspiration and learning. Comic books. He's an avid collector and has more than 50,000 of them. Yureki was born in Argentina and first came to America as a toddler. Comic books were his way of connecting to his new home and his religion.
1: And at that time, I couldn't read any English. But I saw these flying guys. One was Superman, the other was Batman. And I ached to read it. For me, it represents being an American. When I started reading about these adventures and then discovering that they were also created by Jews, I learned how to read. I learned about America. I learned about the contributions of the Jewish people to America through comic books. There's a lot of these themes and motifs that the creators brought that shows you, not just the Jewish experience, but Jewish messages that were there, like spider-man with great power comes great responsibility but superman the idea of an immigrant an alien coming to this country who disguised as clark kent no one realizes the contributions he's making the idea of pursuing justice story of batman and all the creators were jewish every creation was jewish from superman batman spider-man the avengers justice league All these characters, there's very few characters that were not created by Jews. And part of it, again, when you go deeper into why, it's because many of them couldn't get into the publishing industry.
0: By coincidence, I happened to interview Yureki shortly after the passing of Stan Lee.
1: Stan Lee taught me to dream. Stan Lee taught me to be creative. Stan Lee taught that you can be different and you can be special. Stan Lee (laughs) taught you it's okay to be nerd. (laughs) Uh, he's amazing. I mean, his writing was bombastic and wonderful, and really influenced uh, my life in a very non-Jewish way, but also in some ways very Jewish way. As you know, Stanley was Jewish. His original name was Stanley Martin Lieber, but his characters reflected that idea of, you know, the the person who is different is also something very special, and can contribute to the world, which is again a very Jew- Jewish motif.
0: Yurecki is a dreamer. Despite the challenges of being Jewish in Appalachia, he says he wouldn't trade his pulpit for anywhere else. And he's in the process of preparing for the inevitable. There's plans someday of sharing a building with Charleston's Reform congregation.
1: We're going to eventually have to be together. It It won't be any fun to survive as a congregation of 30 families here, 20 families there. Why not put them together now when we have the opportunity to do it? Uh, both congreg- congregations are financially secure for many, many years. Both buildings are good. There's nothing falling apart. And we get along. But we couldn't get across the problem that no one wanted to leave each other's building. <laughs> and that's the problem. But the other alternative is, you know what? We maybe not be able to do it now, but we can do the things to make the future possible. So Rabbi Blair and myself and my predecessor, the predecessor of Rabbi Blair, Rabbi Cohn, we're doing a lot of programs together. We exchange pulpits. He comes Saturday morning here. I'll be over there Friday night. It's very different. They have, a, they have music. They use a piano. Um, we don't.
0: When I think of Rabbi Victor Yurecki in Charleston, West Virginia, I'm reminded of several of the rabbis I interviewed out west in earlier episodes. Rabbi Dovi Shapiro of Flagstaff, Arizona, also leads a small mountain town congregation. But they recently moved to a bigger synagogue instead of downsizing. Rabbi Sam Spector in Salt Lake City, Utah, holds the pulpit at a merged congregation. But Utah has the highest population growth in the country while West Virginia declines. For every Jewish community that gains a family, there's a loss somewhere else. More often than not, Charleston is that somewhere else. Still, Yureki is hopeful, and a bit humorous, about the future.
1: I have an article in my office, I still have from, I think it's from the New York Times from 1973, that talk about the demise of the Charleston Jewish community in 25 years. So do the math 1973, 25, that's 1998. And I kept it at 1998. I, I did a sermon on it and said, You see, we're still around. But now it's 2018. We're still around. So, you know, rumors of our demise are greatly exaggerated. We'll be around.
0: As I previously mentioned, this leg of the trip was the hardest for me. I was alone and tired of traveling. I was injured and the weather was starting to sour. This was the moment where the project pushed me to keep going. If I was just traveling for fun, West Virginia would have been the beginning of the end. But by now, this project started to mean a lot to me. And I knew since I was already on that side of the country, I might as well take the opportunity to scoop up more interviews. So instead of continuing west, I turned around, tightened my ankle brace, took a deep breath, and left Charleston and headed for Charleston. American Rabbi Project, West Virginia, Truth, Justice, and the Appalachian Way was written and produced by me, Justin Regan. If you like what you're hearing, please consider donating to this project. You can find out how at my website, rabbiproject.com. Once again, rabbiproject.com. I would also like to thank Derek Pova for handling the web stuff and taking photos of me in my car that is worthy of an album cover. Also thanks to Jeremy Crone, Sarit Rathbone, Dylan Abrams, Beth Vanderstoop, and my parents for the assistance. Please feel free to reach out to me by emailing justin at rabbiproject.com. You can also follow the project on Twitter with the handle at rabbiproject and facebook.com slash rabbiproject. And until next time, shalom and safe driving.